Well, we finally have addressed something that we needed to address. The gospel engagement counters are fixed. How about that? Yeah? Now, I want you to pay very close attention because somebody's going to leave here and go, why are there two? There are two because one have the gospel engagements for this year and one has them for last year plus this year. Remember, we're on a three-year journey with this. So, so don't be confused by that. But uh, keep doing uh, your part to make sure that we're sharing the gospel with people everywhere. And just as a part of that, I want to make sure that we do something that sometimes I think we overlook. Uh, our Spanish-speaking uh, ministry at this church just continues to grow. And it grows because of the efforts of so many people, uh, not the least of which is someone that you can't see right now who is listening live to what's going on and translating this uh, service furiously. Uh, if you see them after they have translated the service, they look like they've run a marathon, okay? So would you just this moment uh, give them uh, a round of applause? Thank you uh, for all the work that you guys do. We appreciate that. All of our translation team. I want to ask you a question this morning. You've probably done this, but have you ever kind of been involved in something where you were wondering, what is the point? I mean, what's the point? Why am I going through this? Why am I doing this? I mean, like something maybe that you were doing that was so outrageous that someone had asked you to do at work or at school that you just found yourself going, literally, what's the point? I don't get it. Um, you guys know that probably if you've been around Judson for a little while, I'm not really a movie person. Um, they're generally a disappointment, I'll be honest, you know? So I don't watch a lot of movies. Um, but I found myself watching a movie not long ago with the kids and the family, and we were watching Zorro, right? Right? Good stuff. And, you know, Zorro, if, if you've seen the remake of, of the old TV show, you know that uh, Zorro kind of uh, has aged a little bit. And he runs across this young guy who is ready to avenge the murder of his brother. And Zorro says to him, you know, if, if you'll come with me, I'll train you. And California will be better. And, you know, you'll be able to avenge the murder of your brother. And you probably know what comes next because it's in every movie you've ever watched. The master says, you must do everything I tell you to do without any question. Do you agree? Yes, we agree. And then the music comes up and you cue this dark cellar and there's somebody running around and jumping and training and doing all these things about as long as a song lasts. Typical movie. Then what happens, right? The pupil finally says, I can't take it anymore. Why am I doing this? What's the point? And the master, of course, says, you must keep doing whatever I say that I do. I kind of wax on, wax off, you know, these kind of things. If you karate kid, I mean... I mean, this movie script is in every movie you've ever watched, right? Somebody loses their mind asking, what's the point? And you just keep paying big bucks to see this same movie over and over again. I, it's okay. But I think a lot of us spend time asking, what's the point? There are things in our life that we're asking, what's the point? Uh, we want to know why something happened or what's God's uh, plan in this. Uh, I guess it comes to us pretty simply because... Uh, if you've ever raised a two-year-old, they ask that question all the time. Why? Why? Right? Why are you doing this? But I think when we read the scripture, we can definitively answer this morning the point of the cross. A lot of people wonder, why, why did Jesus have to die? 
What's the point of the cross? And as we trace the red thread, I think it's important to see what God has said in his word because as we pay attention to that, what we're going to see is that God had a very specific point in the cross. A lot of people think of the cross as jewelry to be worn around their neck. Some think of it as an icon to be part of a worship service. But if we were to really get down to it and ask what's the point, I think we could see clearly today from the Old Testament as we trace it through the book of Isaiah. Today we're actually going to look at a passage from Isaiah where he prophesied the death of the Savior. And this chapter describes the suffering of Jesus Christ in great detail and accurately prophesies his death and the, and the surrounding events of his death that are very important to us. And to just give you a point of reference, the book of Isaiah, uh, the earliest manuscript that we have found was found actually in the 1940s in something that was called the Dead Sea Scroll. And that has been dated to over 100 years before the time of Christ. And I say that just to let you know that this morning. Some people say, well, obviously the Old Testament was written to align with the New Testament events after the fact. But archaeology disproves that, and the Dead Sea Scrolls disprove that. That ought to give you a lot of confidence when you read the Bible. That ought to give you great confidence. There's no other book that's ever been written like that, that has one purpose in mind that you can trace through the ages. So I want you to see that. Turn to chapter 53 of the book of Isaiah. And we're going to begin reading in verse 1. And as you do that, I want to remind everybody, we want you to have your own copy of the scripture. We really do. We think it's important. And if you don't have a copy of the scripture, we'd love for you to stop by the Next Step Center after the service, and we'll make sure that you get a free copy of the scripture. We think that's really important for you to have a copy of the scripture. And I should also mention tonight that I'm going to be teaching what we call the Grow Class. Uh, during our 6 o'clock uh, service, we'll be having service in here. But I'll be teaching the Grow Class. And if you've not taken the Grow Class, especially if you're new at Judson, I want to encourage you to come be with us tonight. That's a really important class. It's part of our discipleship strategy, but it's also where we're going to teach you some tools and, and, and just show you some of the things that are available to you so that you can have a growing relationship in Jesus Christ. And if I haven't met you, I'd love to be able to spend that hour with you. We'll only be there an hour. But it's really important that you understand how you can take the Scripture and open it up and it can become alive uh, for you. So I encourage you to attend that tonight. I mentioned that Isaiah was writing this prophetic book hundreds of years before Christ. But prophecy is something that God gives us that foreshadows something or foretells something that's going to happen so that we can have a very clear picture of God's story. In this case, he's writing about the suffering Christ and what he's going to endure on the cross. Now, I should mention that this very chapter of Scripture is referenced more than 80 times in the New Testament. So do you think it's important? It's important, right? I mean, that we see this for what it is more than 80 times in the New Testament. So let's begin in verse 1. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Now keep your Bibles open, because we're going to go through four blocks of Scripture in Isaiah. We're going to read all 12 verses this morning. But when I think about what we're trying to do each week with this sermon series that we've called The Red Thread, what we've been trying to get you to see is that there's some continuity of the Scripture all the way through, and that the cross didn't just happen on Easter weekend. 
that it had been prophesied from years before, and you can trace it through and see that the entire story of the blood of Jesus is in, is in the Scripture, and we're, we're seeing that vividly today. And, and that message that we preach week in and week out here at Judson Baptist Church really is this. It's the gospel, and we believe it needs to be preached. We believe that we have to be faithful because we don't believe that we've preached the good news of Jesus Christ unless we've talked about the blood of Jesus and salvation and how it comes from the cross. When we see this in Isaiah today, we see a very interesting question that he starts with when he says, who believed the message of good news? It's a question that has to be answered by every individual. No one can answer it for you. You can't answer it for anyone else. But God's power has to be revealed. And that's what we see here. If you look back at this first, he says, who has heard what we've said? Who heard the message? And then whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed to? The power of God is what he means by that. When you see that phrase, the arm of the Lord, in the Old Testament, what that meant was the arm of the Lord had been powerful enough to, to show himself to do something incredible like cross the Red Sea on dry land. That's the arm of the Lord. So, so what he's saying here is who heard what we said and who's been able to see the power of God revealed so that they could believe the message. And, and I want to just make sure that you understand this this morning because without the power of God in your life, you can't receive the message. It doesn't work. The power of God has to be revealed to you so that you can see the message clearly. I, I can speak it to you this morning, but the power of God has to be in this place. The Apostle Paul spoke about this in Romans chapter 10 and verse 16 when he said, However, they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Now this is foundational to our understanding of salvation. God does the work. He draws people to himself. God is the one who saves people, but we join God in this. And I want to just say to you as a church this morning, there are a lot of things that we can do as a church. I mean, tons of things. We, we can have events. Uh, we can have a marketing strategy. Uh, we, we can do all sorts of things, but if the power of God doesn't show up, nobody's getting saved. That's really important that we understand that. That, that. that means for us that we have to be kind of clued into this aspect of what we're doing. We're joining God in the work that he does, right? He's the God who saves, not Jeff saves, not you save, not, not anybody else saves. God is the one who saves. We just join him in the work. And as we do it and preach the gospel, we understand that the power of God is revealed and people can be saved. Now, something that we, we understand is really important here. If we preach the gospel, does that mean that everyone's going to be saved every time? No. It says, who has heard? Who received it? Isaiah reminds us here that people overlook Jesus all the time. Even those who saw him in the flesh had trouble receiving him. John recorded something astounding in his gospel, in the gospel of John. He said it like this. Jesus had done all these signs and wonders and then people still didn't receive him. They didn't see it. It was fulfilling this prophecy. And I think verse 2 says something for us that still holds true today. Many people overlook Jesus because he just doesn't meet their expectations. The Jews rejected him because he didn't have the qualities of a leader they were looking for. Uh, you, you might not think of, uh, of this, but Jesus didn't have the kind of, of leadership qualities that you might want in an earthly king. If we contrasted him with King David, the most famous king of all of Israel, we'd see that. David was handsome. David was a gifted warrior. He'd slayed a giant. David 
was, was someone who had uh, other types of, of gifts with music, right? He was able to play a harp. I mean, he was a skilled musician. David had things that might make you line up behind him and go, I'll follow this guy. But Jesus just seemed ordinary to people, somebody you could look over. And when you talk to people today about the Lord, they oftentimes have trouble understanding and really believing it could be this simple. A baby born of God, not of man, who lived a perfect life, died on a cross in our place so that we could be saved. It just seems like it's not enlightened enough, doesn't it? People aren't looking for a God like that. They want something more elaborate, something prettier. So they do exactly what verse 3 says. They despise him. They don't esteem him, meaning they don't value anything about him. And I think this has to be our prayer, especially as we head towards Easter. Our prayer needs to be that as we engage people with the gospel, the power of God would move. And as the power of God moves, that people would be saved. As we do the work in the fields, that God would show up and, and the power of God would change people's lives. As we look at what Paul said in the book of Romans, we understand that not everyone who hears will be saved. But the message is important and our job isn't to worry about how that all shakes out. Our job is to be faithful in the fields. To be faithful, constantly sharing our faith. And when we share Christ with people, we open up the opportunity for them to be touched by the power of the Holy Spirit and for their lives to be changed forever. Keep reading with me, verse 4. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray, each has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. When we read this verse, we get a really clear picture of the last days in the life of Jesus Christ. Verse 4 speaks to the reason Jesus was going to die on the cross. He was bearing our sorrows. Your Bible may say the word sickness. Think of it like this. It means that he was taking the sorrow of our sin upon himself or our sin sickness and placing it on himself. But the people around him didn't see it that way. They didn't see that as a benefit. They didn't see it as Jesus bearing something that was rightfully theirs. They really saw him as stricken, cursed by God. Do you remember when Jesus went before Pilate, the Roman governor? The Jews saw him as being under the judgment of God. They missed that he was dying in their place. And the same thing happens today. People don't see Jesus as carrying their sin, their sorrow. They see him as a sympathetic figure in history who may have died, but certainly not for them. Verse 5 foretold that he would be nailed to a cross as he was pierced. Think about that with me for a minute. Hands and feet pierced through for you. Hands and feet pierced through because of your sin. He was crushed by the weight of sin as we studied last week when he cried out under duress, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why would you do this? He's crying out. He was before Roman soldiers who beat him with a whip and the scourging that he received was for our healing. Every time that whip tore his skin, it was for your healing. And Isaiah tells us why. 
because we all like sheep have gone astray. What a beautiful picture, isn't it? How a sheep not thinking wanders off into harm's way. And how every one of us, by our nature of sin, wanders off into harm's way all the time, don't we? We find ourselves wandering away from what God would have for us, wandering away from the commands that God would have us to live by. And as we do that, we don't understand that it's God's love for us that caused that sin, that sickness to be placed on him. This is in keeping what we've seen about Jesus being the substitutionary atonement for us. We've talked about that for two weeks, and this gives us a great picture, and I want to just explain it again, because it's an important concept for us to understand. Substitute, in my place, in your place, he dies. Atonement, he makes things right with the Father for us so that we have fellowship with him. The chastisement, the suffering that should have been placed upon us, placed upon him, so that when Jesus died in your place, you could have eternal life. When you read these verses, verses 4, 5, and 6, you've got to place yourself right in the middle of it. Because he's dying for you. He's dying for me. That's what's going on there. Let's keep reading verse 7. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, and yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter, like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off Out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people, to whom the stroke was due. His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death. Because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. These verses give us strikingly accurate detail as to what was going to take place on the night of Jesus trial before the governor I mentioned Pilate when he was accused before Pilate the Roman governor he did exactly what verse 7 said he would do I want to read it for you from Matthew 27 as I thought about this week Jesus being quiet before his accusers this verse came to mind Matthew 27 verse 12 and while he was being accused by the chief priest and the elders he did not answer then Pilate said to him do you not hear how many things they testify against you And he did not answer him with regard to even a single charge. So the governor was quite amazed. Can you imagine? Pilate's in shock. These people are bringing charge after charge after charge against you. And you don't say anything. What's the matter with you? Stand up for yourself. Now, I know you can imagine being accused of something that you didn't do. Wouldn't you stand up for yourself? I would. It's the natural inclination of all of us, isn't it? When someone says, you did this, and you say, no, I didn't. You caused damage to this car. No, I didn't. I wasn't even in it. I don't know how I could have done it. I didn't do it. I have people who can confirm that I didn't do what you're saying. That's what we do. That's our natural inclination. But Jesus didn't. Why didn't he do it? He had outsmarted these people every single time they tried to trap him. Do you remember? Who should we give our our service to Caesar or God is it right to pay these taxes hand me a coin Jesus says whose face is on it render under Caesar what is Caesar's give to God what's God problem solved every time they tried to trap him they couldn't do it he's so much smarter than them why doesn't he do it now well it's because God's working in the midst of a very unjust 
situation. Verse 8 speaks about the illegal trial that he had. It was under oppression and corrupt judgment that he was crucified. And a man named Barabbas, a known criminal, was set free. The entire trial was a hoax or a sham, if you like. They had nothing to prove that he deserved death. They couldn't even get their witnesses to line up. The scripture says that Jesus would have been buried in a beggar's field, or maybe even worse. Some have speculated that his body would have been thrown in a trash heap. But this verse of scripture accurately said he he was a, a, a person who should have been thrown out, and yet he was with a rich man. Do you remember what happened after he was crucified? A rich man, the New Testament tells us, named Joseph of Arimathea, and a man named Nicodemus who had come to Jesus one time in the night because he was scared. He was of the Jewish ruling class, and he was scared of what people might think of him. So he came to Jesus at night and said, hey, how can a person have eternal life? How does this work? Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus came to the governor Pilate and said, please let us have his body. And they did something amazing. They laid him in a tomb where no one had ever laid. That sounds funny to us, right? It's not, it's not like they, they redig a grave and take somebody out and put somebody in. In those days, though, tombs held many people. They're saying it had never been used before. Why would that happen? Why would that have been that way? It's because Jesus was no common criminal. Had Jesus just been a common criminal, no one would have given him a tomb that had never been used before. He had never done any violence like the scripture says. When he was crucified, he was crucified between two thieves. The scripture also says there had never been deceit in his mouth. What does that mean? Everything he said was true. He had never lied once. Well, you've lied to yourself three times already this morning. Right? We lie to ourselves all the time. Deceits found in our mouths all the time. Never once had deceit been found in his mouth. So what's the point of Jesus dying on the cross? Why is he going through this pain and suffering? Why the beatings? Why the scourging? Why doesn't he answer when he's accused in a bogus mock trial that shouldn't be taking place? Well, if we look at the last verses, we see the answer. Look at verse 10. But the Lord was pleased to crush him. If you don't have that verse underlined in your Bible, you should. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. Why? If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great and he will divide the booty with the strong because he poured out himself to death. He was numbered with transgressors, yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. Why? What's the point? God was doing something, and verse 10 says that he was pleased to crush him so that Jesus would be a guilt offering. In just a few minutes, we're going to take an offering. We've been doing things like giving towards our foundation's goal. We're trying to eliminate some debt 
and praise the Lord, we're, we've passed 80-something thousand dollars now on our goal to, to eliminate $500,000 worth of debt before the uh, end of May. I mean, praise the Lord for that. But that's what we think about when we think about an offering. Somebody passing a plate and there being an offering made, right? You put an envelope in. But when the Jews thought about an offering, they understood something very different. A guilt offering meant that there was going to be blood shed. Blood was going to have to be shed so that sins could be covered. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin, the scripture says. And so this happens over and over and over again in their lives. And what the writer is saying here is he rendered himself the guilt offering. He's the offering to end all offerings. There are no more offerings needing to be made for our sins. He rendered himself that. He gave up his perfect life so that you and I could be cleansed by the blood of the spotless lamb. We've been justified by the death of Christ on the cross. That means he did something to make us righteous before God. He made us righteous. You know, when we stand before the Lord, we're not able to answer the charges against us. Not one of us. It's only through the justification of Christ on the cross Verse 11 makes it clear. Jesus was taking our sin, our iniquities, and that led to our salvation. So what's the point? Why the cross? As you get ready for Easter this week, I want you to think about several things. One, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have been given a gift. You've seen the power of, of God on display. And the power of God changed your life in such a way that it saved you. That's a gift. Just being able to see the power of God in your life that led you to salvation. It's a precious gift, never to be overlooked, never to be taken for granted. And it's a reminder for us as believers to constantly be praying that the power of God would be evidenced in people's lives and that they would see conviction for what it is in their life and that they would hear our testimony, that they would be saved, that they would be moved towards salvation by the things that we're able to share with them. That's the power of the cross. And if you're not a believer, I want you to know that we're praying that even today, you would clearly see the power of God on display through conviction. That you would be convicted of your sins. And you say, why would you want me to feel bad? Because Jesus said, it's only when we get low that we can be raised up. It's only when we understand who we truly are that we can come to know Jesus Christ and the fellowship of his sufferings and the power of his resurrection. We hope that you would know that today to know the power of conviction so that you can be saved and cleansed from all your sins. Secondly, as you prepare for Easter this week, don't overlook the cross. You got a lot of things to do this week. You'll be going to work. You'll be taking care of a home. You'll mow the grass. You'll go to the store. You'll volunteer someplace. You'll be doing lots of things. Don't overlook the cross. Don't just run by it. When we think of the cross, we need to understand exactly what was going on. We need to make sure that we understand it was us that put him there. We don't need to just run by that. We don't need to put one around our neck and just act like it's jewelry. It means something to us that's so much more. It's the power of God unto salvation. 
It costs something for our sin to be taken care of. We were justified through the blood of Jesus shed for us. All of us have the tendency to forget the high price paid by Jesus on the cross. Every time the whip touched his skin, it was because of you. Every time the hammer hit the nail, it was because of you. Every time he was mocked, it was because of you. Every time he bled from his head from a crown of thorns, mercilessly shoved on his head in mocking form, it was because of you. His blood shed for us reminds us how seriously sin affects everything. And when I think of the cross, it reminds me of how I don't even want to settle for what I might think of as insignificant sins being in my life. Don't run by the cross. Finally this week, don't let the week fly by without thanking Jesus for the cross. Don't let the week happen without thanking Jesus for the cross. We sing this line of scripture so often, but we need to know it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's the cross summed up. He became sin who knew no sin so we might become his righteousness. He who was perfect died in our place so that we could be made righteous through his death. Don't be too busy to miss the point of the cross this week. We've got things going on this week to help remind us of the powerful price of the cross, but also the glory of the resurrection. This week we'll have Holy Week lunches, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. They only last an hour. It costs five bucks. You come, you don't need to reserve a spot. When you come, we'll spend time looking at what happened during the week leading up to Jesus' death. Friday night, We'll celebrate a Good Friday service here at 6 p.m. Just thinking about these things. And then Sunday morning, be ready to come in and worship the risen Savior. We're going to be looking at why the resurrection is important. Because the scripture says if there is no resurrection, we're fools. To be pitied above most. Why is that important? You see, what's the point of all of this? When I think about this week, I don't want to run by the cross. I want to go to the cross. Would you join me in prayer? Father, for us, this is a special week as we think about the cross of Christ. And we think about how salvation came through every sting of the whip, every drop of blood shed. And we thank you, Lord, for the cross. Father, would you move even now to lead us back to the cross? And for the one who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior this morning, I pray your power would be on display in conviction. And they wouldn't be able to leave this place until they make their life right with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.